1: Hello there, welcome to a brand new ArsBlog ArsCast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? We're heading into the second last weekend of the season. Where the hell is the time gone? Come on! Seriously. Anyway, I've got a beer, I'm sitting here, I've got a beer, and I've spent about the last five minutes watching a, a live stream of puppies on the Jimmy Fallon Facebook page. I don't know if we can hear this. Is it going? Here they are. Little Labrador puppies. He's got them for some prediction game. Puppy predictors dressing room, and there's little lab puppies all scrumpling around doing mad puppy things, and I'm thinking, I'd like that. I want a swarm of puppies to do a prediction game. I don't even care what the prediction is. When's the end of the world? When is Phil Collins going to release another? I don't care. But if I can use puppies to do the predictions, then I'm well on for it. So anyone out there who's got like a load of spare puppies that they want to lend me, and I do mean lend because uh, one dog is enough for me right at this moment in time. If I were to hit the jackpot and retire like with the lottery or something, I would most definitely have more than one dog because I'd I'd have a big house with a big garden and I would fill it with dogs and puppies and just keep adding puppies because when the puppies grow up, they become dogs. And I love dogs, but they're not as good as puppies. That's the, that's the harsh reality of the situation. Actually, that's a lie. Dogs are kind of better when they do grow up and they stop weighing on the carpet and all that kind of stuff. But oh, look, look at them. They're all biting each other's tails. This is awesome. There's about eight or ten of them just all bundling about. Oh, this is brilliant. I might just do live commentary. Now they're jumping. Oh, my goodness. One guy just jumped onto the head of the other guy. He's essentially teabagged him. But puppies don't care about that, do they? No. They'll stick their snouts and balls everywhere. Oh, they don't really have any balls. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just enthralled by puppies. Anyway, we're here, and it's another arse cast. And, uh, well, Leicester... Leicester are the <laughs> the Premier League champions. Holy shit. It does make me a little bit worried. You know, all the stuff that's going on in the world, crazy things that people say could never happen, like... You know, let's say I don't want to be specific about this because I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Right. And uh, one guy emailed me to say, hey, you, I don't listen to you to hear about politics. I tune in to hear you talk sometimes about Arsenal or answer questions like, would you rather have monkey Darth Vader as your dad or a fish for a willy? That's what I, but leave the politics out of it. So I'll be very vague about this, right? So Leicester City winning the league, everyone said, no, it can't happen. It's not possible. Just can't. They'll fall away. It'll all go wrong. It's not going to happen. It won't happen. It just can't happen. No, no chance. Oh, fuck, it's happened. So uh, imagine if, just throwing it out there, just, I'm keeping it very vague. Imagine if there was like this orange racist, xenophobic, hypocritical, narcissistic reality TV man aiming to be the leader of the free world, so to speak, and everyone's going, nah, it can't happen, won't happen, that'll never happen. No, 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 won't that won't happen. And now it's like Well you know, it's not impossible. Leicester have just won the Premier League. What else could happen this year? An Irishman could win the one hundred meters at the, the Olympic Games? We're not fast. We're not a fast nation. We're not renowned for our speed. We don't have the the power, the twitch muscles. We don't have any of that. But what happens if an Irishman wins it? Then we're going to have to we're going to have to accept that we have in some way fallen into some kind of weird parallel dimension where literally anything is possible. Actually, you could probably trace this back to Francis Coquelin making it at Arsenal. Like it's for me, that's the first sign of it. It was completely and utterly unprecedented. This is a guy who was a decent enough player, did okay for us when he played. I remember he had a great game at left back in one of the Carling Cup games, but Arsene Wenger was like, no, don't see it, not going to happen, not going to happen. Off you go on loan, go to Freiburg, go to here, go to there. Didn't do well anywhere. It was okay at Charlton. Everyone at Charlton was like, no, yeah, we could do with him. And then he gets called back to Arsenal, and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, Mr. Important Francis Coquelin. When has that ever, ever happened before? So Francis Coquelin perhaps is the conduit for all this crazy shit that's happening in the world. Don't want to alarm anybody, but maybe, maybe things will go back to normal if someone takes him out. I'm not advocating his assassination in any way. I like him. He seems a nice man. He's a good footballer. I like what he does on the pitch for the most part. He's uh, enthusiastic. I like the way he celebrates goals. He gets really into it. I can dig that, but maybe there's a bigger responsibility to the whole rest of the world. Ever see that movie, The Dead Zone? Stephen King's story, Christopher Walken's in it. And he's like been in a coma. And then when he wakes up from a coma, he can see into the future. He can see things that are going to happen in the future. And then he realizes that the president of the United States, which is completely unrelated to anything I might have been talking about before, just in case that same guy is listening and he wants to email me again. But he realizes that the president of the United States is going to start World War Three. And I think he goes and like assassinates him. He kills him. He shoots him or something. It's been a while since I saw the movie, but I think that's essentially the crux of it. Now, I'm not saying that I'm that guy. I have haven't been, as far as I know, in a coma. But maybe if I've spotted this thing that happens, in the, maybe is, it the, is the responsibility mine? Am I the guy that's going to have to kill Francis Coquelin? That seems unfair. Can't someone else do it? What about one of those really angry guys? You know, the ones? They're always angry about something to do with our so we could perhaps just lure them into thinking that it's Francis Coquelin's fault, like everything is Coquelin's fault. And then they might sing a song about Coquelin dying in May, and then someone will kill him, and then the world will go back to normal. And look, we'll mourn the passing, the death of Francis Coquelin. It'll be a sad time for him, for his family, for his friends, for those around him, but we can rest assured that the world will return to something approaching normal, that perhaps there is a chance for humanity, for my kids, for your kids, for their grandkids to grow up in a world where Leicester City can't win the league where an Irishman doesn't win the 100 metres at the uh, Rio Olympics. I mean, if that happens, we're, we're completely fucked. But anyway, Leicester are champions. Champions. It's amazing. Claudio Ranieri seems a very nice man, so uh, on that level, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, I'm happy for him because obviously it made Jose Mourinho unhappy, even though Mourinho released a statement during the week. He said, uh, I've lost my title. I've lost my, my title, you see. That tells you everything you need to know, but it will really be uh, upsetting him that, uh, that Ranieri won the title, which is great. But seriously, though, how can you, how can you not enjoy a man who, who does this kind of thing? This is from a press conference in March.
0: Danny Drinkwater has said this week that um, we, he was asked about um, how you are with the players, and he says you have an imaginary bell that you shake if you don't think you've got their full attention
2: is that right? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if a drinky say something is it true <laughs> do, you do, do you use this imaginary bell? no s- I don't use I tell to them dilly din dilly don when they are uh, sleeping no and then I buy to them a little bell
1: ok firstly he, he, he called Danny Drinkwater drinky which is great and then he rings his imaginary bell at them when they're when they're lapsing in training, when they're not giving it their all. So whatever about Leicester and Claudio Ranieri, though, I think the way that the title was won perhaps gave us all something to enjoy. I don't mean, of course, that Jamie Vardy was top scorer or they kept out more goals at the back or kept more clean sheets. I mean Chelsea versus Tottenham. On Monday night, Leicester could have won the league if they beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, but that was a 1-1 draw. So we needed Tottenham to drop points against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea aside, who really haven't given a shit for most of the season. They wanted to get rid of Mourinho, they got rid of Mourinho, and it's been a bit better under Goose Hitting, but I didn't really want to watch it, so I didn't. I watched uh I think I watched Game of Thrones instead. Dragons and boobs and swords and axes through the face and all that kind of stuff, which was kind of what I was hoping. Chelsea and Tottenham would do to each other, and lo and behold, it worked. Maybe I've got magic power, I don't know. But anyway, it was 2 0 to Tottenham at half time, and I was thinking, oh, fuck, this is shit. Like, nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants Tottenham to keep it alive. Nobody wants them to keep it going. Just know your place, you guys. Come on. And then Gary Cahill scored, and then the other stuff was over. So I watched about the last 20 25 minutes of it, and. Hazard scored with seven minutes to go, and the game was already fractious. There was niggle and spite and fouls. And Tottenham, when you look back at what Tottenham did at Stamford Bridge, they didn't get a single red card. And you look back to what happened with us at Stamford Bridge, and we ended up, we had two red cards at Stamford Bridge this season Gabrielle, for like fuck all, and Santi Cazorla, the nicest man in football. Santi Cazorla. Like he would, Santi Cazorla would adopt all these puppies that I'm still watching here as I'm talking to you. He is the nicest guy, and he gets he gets a red card at Stamford Bridge. And Tottenham players are scything Chelsea men down. They're standing on their uh, hands. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Terrible tackles. Dangerous play, violent play. And they didn't get a single red card. Eye-gouging. Of course Dembele is going to be done after the fact, but still, the linesman was looking right at it, and he didn't do anything about it. Gonna have some beer here. Hang on. But then, Hazard scored what his first goal of the season in the eighty-third minute, and there's still seven minutes to go of normal time, and then there were six minutes of uh, of injury time because of all the fucking nonsense and mayhem. Thirteen minutes. For a Tottenham side that have been, admittedly, really good this season to sort of focus and say, let's get a goal and keep our title chances alive. And they they just lost the plot. Like, those last 10, 12 minutes were just hilarious. Instead of going for a goal that could have won them the title, they're just kicking and fouling and causing ructions and fights and all kinds of stuff, and they just, like, forgot. They forgot to actually play football because they were so pissed off they were so angry they were so upset they were so childish and stupid stupid that that gift that was going around of harry kane and he's just screaming there's just his open mouth and he's going Aah! hilarious because he could see that they've lost the plot and i'm sorry I'm very sorry if you think that football is pure and should be pure. And I think if it was a case that football could be pure all the time, then look fine. It would be amazing if the game was played with great sportsmanship, with skill and elan and flair and all the best things about the game. But that's not real life. That is not real life. Sometimes things get a bit violent. And when the team dispensing the violence is your local enemy and you definitely don't want them to win the title and they forget to play football and choose the dark path, they go down that dark road. When they choose that instead of trying to win the title, it's fucking very, very funny, like really, really funny. I got to say that those last 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of that game are up there with the Manchester United uh, game where we won 3-0 and played so, so well as my favorite moments of this season. Now, I realize that says a lot about us. I realize it says a lot about the way our season has gone, that I could take such pleasure, such enjoyment, such uh, profound happiness from the misery and stupidity of others. I know, I get it, but so fucking what? If that's what it takes to have a good time this season, then hey, beggars can't be choosers. And we're a bit beggars at this moment in time. So thank you. Thank you to Tottenham for uh, for that. And then, of course, there was the after-game brawl. Uh, the players coming together. Stories of Cesc Fabregas hitting people in the ghoulies and saying things in Spanish out loud that he knew most of the Tottenham staff, of course, speak Spanish. Pochettino speaks Spanish in his assistants, and Lamella was there. And then you have Sesc Fabregas going around, like hitting people in the ghoulies. I'm sorry if you don't like Sesc Fabregas. I understand why, but <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I'm sorry. He clearly enjoyed, clearly enjoyed sticking that one to Tottenham. And even if you think that there's no part of him that has any connection to Arsenal anymore, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think he probably enjoyed that very much indeed. Just saying. So look, we have a show. Of course, we've got a game coming up this weekend. We're playing Manchester City. That's going to be fun, isn't it? A game that everyone cares a huge amount about. Who can finish third or possibly second? It's not impossible for us to finish in second place this season. Which would be fucking ridiculous. So we will talk about that a little bit later on. But now uh, to talk about uh, the week that was, to talk about Leicester winning the title, to talk about fan protests, to talk about what the summer might bring and more. I'm delighted to welcome back for the final time this season, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy.
0: Hello, Andrew. How are you doing?
1: I'm well, thank you. Look, we have to start with Leicester City and what is probably the most remarkable football story since well nottingham forest back in the 70s anyway in april 2015 they were bottom of the table and here we are just into may and they're they're champions what, what do you make of it all do you have any idea how to explain it
0: wow um <sighs> <laughs> great question how do one how does one explain the unexplainable yeah um, I just, the more I think about it, the more it feels like something that's from the wrong century. It doesn't seem like this should be remotely possible. Every preconce- preconception we have about football, everything that we think should be happening in the natural order of things is obliterated. Um And that's amazing. And personally, I'm thankful for, for Leicester for giving us that uh, as people who love football. Because there are times when... I, I'm aware that I sound like an old bore, and you think, God, am I really as old as I sound? <laughs> when you just think about, oh, it was so much better in our day and we used to we used to be like this and it used to be like that. And there was a simplicity about the football watching and football loving experience if you were a regular um, loving your football in the 70s and 80s or it, it, even further back than that. Um, and of course, a lot of the things that we held dear then have been changed beyond all record mission in more recent times I sometimes look at kids going to football now and think what kind of experience they're having as their football experience even though they absolutely clearly love it compared to perhaps the experience that kids a few decades ago would have um, how much you identify with players how much you believe your team might do something the kind of the bubble that footballers tend to live in nowadays mm. the sense of you um, things being uh, quite orderly um, compared to how they used to be, for better or for worse. Um, and yet what Leicester have experienced does remind me a lot more of the kind of things that might have happened in the 70s and 80s. And actually talking of the 70s, that um, that Chelsea-Tottenham game <laughs> looked like that was from a different <laughs> decade as well. It was so violent. So I know the last few days in some ways have been a bit of a throwback. Um and I think that that's brilliant because certainly, from Arsenal's point of view, when you think that the whole, if you like, idea of how the club was going to be successful was based on financial fair play, mm. and this idea that somehow you have to be competitive with the the, the power bases that can flex their, you know, their financial muscle, um, was was the idea behind trying to be successful, and. Actually, the whole FFP thing sort of failed and you think, oh oh God, that's that then for everybody else. And yet it's not, because Leicester have shown the absolute antithesis of what, you know, being the most powerful team was supposed to be. It's not necessarily about having the most technically gifted players. It's not necessarily about having the most money it's not necessarily so that you spend 20 or 50 million pounds on a player and that means that they're somehow going to be better. Yeah. It's about an incredible amount of hunger and unity in the squad and every player playing to a maximum they probably never knew they even had. And that's brilliant.
1: Yeah. I mean it's 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 very difficult to try and put into words what it's like, um, because if you remember back in the seventies when Forrest did it, and I, you know, we grew up around the same time. Even then, I wasn't aware of what an incredible story that was. And if you look at the the book by Danny Taylor and the film, I believe in miracles. When you look back on it, it's it's absolutely absurd what Brian Clough did uh, at Nottingham Forest to go on then and win two European Cups. Of course, what Leicester have done is do something similar, different maybe, but but similar. But in the modern era, when it's just like you say, not not supposed to happen happen or when the way that the game is structured or the way that the big clubs have, to a certain extent, manipulated the game via their their power to make sure that it can't happen. So you have a club like Leicester who have done this, who've just blown them all out of the water. Incredible. And uh, Claudio Ranieri as well, Um, a man who... (sighs) I don't want to like dismiss most of the football managers but I, you know his his uh, character and the fact that he's a gentleman really stands out so it's very difficult not to be pleased for him as well.
0: Yeah and I keep keep thinking about how Jose Mourinho you know at the start of the season as manager of the Champions would have been feeling so utterly dismissive of the idea of Ranieri going to Chelsea. Ranieri is a manager that he has dissed whenever he's had the opportunity. I know there's quite a, a long list of people for, for that, <laughs> um, for Jose Mourinho. But, you know, R- Ranieri was quite high on the list of people he, he didn't respect, Um in that sense of, well, you know, you don't win anything, ergo, what are you worth? Yeah. Uh, which, as a kind of basic principle, I think is a dangerous line to go down because if we can't value anything that isn't pure winning, that's probably a bit of a scary um, philosophy for life for most people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what, he, he is an absolute star of a Human being, and uh, uh, having been in the fortunate position to, you know, spend some time with him uh, over the years, he he really is as as lovely as he seems. Um, I can't press that point enough. He's an absolute gent. Um, He's very funny. He has strong principles that he abides by. He's much cleverer than anybody thinks. Um, And for him to to have finally won something substantial while Mourinho's sitting on his backside trying <laughs> to get another job is uh, something that pleases me immensely.
1: The One of the things I suppose people talked about, certainly Arsene Wenger talked about it a bit this season, was an equalisation of talent across the Premier League because of the money that's come into the game. And you look at West Ham who are riding high. Southampton were doing you know, very well, they're up there, thereabouts. Um, for a time, a club like Stoke, who were able to bring in players like Bojan and Shakiri and these guys who, who they just wouldn't have been able to do a few years ago, there was a, a school of thought, I guess, that this was part of the reason why the big clubs didn't do so well this season, that everybody's just a bit more competitive. Is there an element of what Leicester have done, they've sort of taken advantage of that to an extent? Because people point to how bad the big clubs were But does it speak to perhaps a more competitive Premier League in general? Or are we likely to see a return to the status quo next season, do you think?
0: Really interesting point. Um, I mean, it it looks like there is that equalisation because, I mean, while the Premier League's always been held up as being a little bit more competitive overall in that sense that anyone can beat anyone compared to a lot of other leagues. um, So I don't think it's overnight change in that regard. I think you can't look at the kind of collective um, disappointment of Chelsea, Manchester City, Man United, uh, Arsenal, um, arguably go further down that list, including Liverpool or Tottenham or whoever, who, you know, Tottenham obviously had a really good season, but, you know, people will debate whether, whether or not it's the ultimate, is mm. as successful as it should be because they look like they were close. But... You know the, the the main players that you would have expected. I'm just still struggle to get my head around the fact that not one of them got their act together. You know, you can envisage a situation, particularly with man, you know, managers changing regularly, new players coming in, and so on at, at all clubs. For all of the so called big four, you know, to to underperform is really extraordinary. I mean, you just think one of them would have pulled yeah. their pulled themselves together, and that was where Leicester you know, we'll feel the stars were aligned for them. Um, and that's where you look at next year and think if um, West Ham improve on what they've done this year or or Tottenham or Liverpool under Klopp suddenly find those extra gears more consistently or something crazy happens with Everton and, you know, it all clicks for them or another club that you would expect to, to, to not be amongst it suddenly ends up right at the top. Are we still going to see... Chelsea, Man City, Man United, etc. You know, drifting a bit.
3: Mm.
0: I don't know. Um, maybe. Yeah. It's 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 brought that brilliant unpredictability even more into sharp focus. So I think that's that can only be encouraged.
1: Yeah, I think it's good overall. I think it is good if there's a more competitive league um, and and perhaps some of the. The waning interest people might have in certain elements of the game could be restored by the fact that you have a more competitive Premier League. And well, I, I, it's very difficult to see somebody doing what Leicester did again. Um, if the if the big clubs are shaken up a bit by those a little bit below them and even those further down, then I, I don't think it's any bad thing for football. So um,
0: from an Arsenal the point thing of I'm, view, go on. Sorry. sorry to it's dig in here, Andrew. Is, is that I reckon if you're a player for another club this year and you're watching what's happened with Leicester and you're watching how much those players have enjoyed themselves, um, basically for pretty much the whole season, particularly in the last few days, I, I would have thought that what they're seeing doesn't necessarily relate too much to their own experience. Mm. And that's the thing that I think it, it is hard to envisage how on earth it changes. But again, that idea of it being a bit of a throwback... I don't think you get many dressing rooms like Leicester's dressing room have been this year. Just because they've all been on this massive Crest of a wave and most of them are players who haven't had that success before and have been so desperate for it. You know, it, it's it's been so refreshing from that point of view. And I reckon a lot of players would probably think, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. But it's actually really difficult to create in the modern game.
1: Is it? Is it? Is it something that's created or is it, I mean, there's got to be, uh, you read about what Ranieri did when he came into the club in, in the first week or so, and he just he didn't take training. He stood and he watched, and he kept he kept on some of the staff that were popular under Nigel Pearson, uh, and obviously he had an effect on that. You know the pizza stuff and all that kind of uh, the, the great stuff that he did. But there has to be an element of chance to it as well that all the ingredients have come together to bake this incredible cake.
0: Yeah, but there's a human element to it. I mean, if you yeah. say, um, look at, uh, predict, let's say, Guardiola coming into Manchester City, he's obviously got incredible respect and all the players I think will be looking forward to seeing what he's got to do. And um, But these are most, you know, there will be some new players, one imagines that will come in, perhaps a, a couple that, that are moved on or mm. leave. Um, they'll all be trying to impress, they'll be listening to what he's got to do. But in terms of that sense of, A, fun... Uh, and enjoyment about their daily work and be genuine kind of a sense of of purpose of doing something together um of camaraderie uh of believing in something you, you know it's the nature of the the beast nowadays that most footballers even if they're really good guys and they try and stay level and steady and all that stuff it's it's quite hard to to do that when you're having to live in a bit of a bubble um you know look jack Wilshere has been out for a year is is he not entitled to go on a night out with 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 his girlfriend and one friend and that other that friend's girlfriend and you know and go out without it turning into some kind of major episode because mm. people are getting involved you know it's difficult actually there's not a lot of sympathy for that part of their life um but actually trying to live a normal life is hard and trying to really kind of that's what i mean about lest it looks to me like there's been a sort of simplicity about it. there are a bunch of guys that have really got on tried to have a, a lot of uh, a great time together and the hunger and spirit that they've all shared you know you don't get the feeling that the ones who didn't play every week have been cheesed off and moaning to their agents and niggles and why is this one playing and I'm not it's been more old-fashioned in that they're all just kind of in there together mm. and I don't think that's a very easy thing to have in a club where there's probably usually a bit more competition amongst the players they're all in ears of agents the agents are in the ears of other people they're living a slightly strange life without that much kind of honesty around so, I don't know, I'm waffling, but no, no I can't
1: uh, get what I'm on about. Yeah, I mean, is it a thing that it's easier to create something like that at a smaller club where you have these guys who've exactly. been... Uh, you know, who've come up from non-league. Someone like Vardy, who's come up and has only hit his peak at 28, 29 years of age. Robert Huth, Wes Morgan. Uh, you know, guys who've been around the block. You look at Brighton, let go by Aston Villa, Danny Drinkwater. You know, journeymen to an extent without taking anything exactly. away from them. Whereas when you go to a club like Arsenal, for example, dare I say it, you're, <laughs> you're dealing with high profiles, Can you're you- dealing with egos and expectations.
0: Can you think of one player in that Leicester squad that springs to mind that you think, well they've had it easy mm. <laughs> <laughs> easy is it to, to define that and that's part of the makeup of those people and how much they've bought into what's been going on and 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 the sense of possibility i th- uh, it sounds absurd to say you can't be great or or find that kind of atmosphere without having some struggle and how do you define struggle anyway I mean, are Arsenal players finding it a struggle this season? I'd say some of them are actually. I'd say some of them are probably going home feeling that this is really difficult, mm-hmm. and some people probably not catching wouldn't think it reasonable to cut them any slack for that. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's different, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's yeah, it different it circumstances. It boils
0: down to how much you feel you're valued. How much you feel determined to make the best of things? How much pressure you feel under? These these guys have not felt under pressure. It's a totally different situation. They've not felt under pressure.
1: And when it came and right, pleasingly enough, they've yeah. been
0: going for the biggest thing, the best story you could ever imagine in sport, and they've not felt under pressure. Yeah. And yet, there are probably a lot of players at a lot of bigger clubs who who are earning a lot more money, who have had a, a, got a lot more expectation on them, and people think they might be better players who are under much more pressure every day of the week.
1: Mm. Well, everyone expected them to fold, didn't they? Everyone, I mean, look, I, I said it on this podcast and on the on the other one that we do with James, it's like, no, nope, Leicester aren't going to last. They're, you know, inevitably something will happen. All right, they've gone this far, but when it comes to the run-in, that's where the pressure will really mount. We've seen clubs, uh, bigger clubs before, um, find that pressure far too much to deal with. As it turned out, Leicester, I won't say coasted through it. They obviously worked really, really hard, but they didn't look like a team for whom, Pressure was a thing, whereas you look at what happened between Tottenham and Chelsea the other night, and Tottenham looked like the team that that felt that pressure.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And Tottenham did did look under, under pressure, and mm. obviously it, it got to them. Mm. Um, but uh, that's strange because they probably didn't didn't need to feel under pressure. I can understand why they did, but actually they have had a, a season where I think when they when they get over the disappointment of probably allowing themselves to believe it might happen and then it not happening, they'll realise that overall they've had a lot to be encouraged about.
1: Mm. So while Leicester are winning the title, um, at Arsenal (laughs) things aren't quite as rosy. There were protests um, in the the stands uh, during the Norwich game. Uh, The atmosphere, I guess, was a bit weird because of that. And it was interesting to hear Arsene Wenger talk about how he expected it to be worse. Uh, mm. He said after the game that we were expecting a sea of white. Uh, as it turned out, it was pockets of fans in the stadium. We've sort of been through the wares and the, and the white fours of that. What, what did you make of it, of it all? You were there, obviously, on, on Saturday during the Norwich game. How did, uh, how did you see things?
0: Yeah, I, I was there... Um, uh, uh in in amongst the supporters and uh my fundamental feeling really was just disappointed that it's got to the point where fans are rowing with other fans over whether they should be protesting or not mm. um you know i happened to see it get a little bit unpleasant near where i was sitting um from people on different sides of the fence and it was quite shocking um because when you see season ticket holders against other season ticket holders and obviously that you expect people to have differences of opinion and people don't agree all the time on what's best for the team um and you can support in all sorts of different ways but it's it's just deeply unhealthy to have a situation where the fan base um don't seem to have a shared sense of purpose and unity um so I, I, I think, although just taking it slightly further back and rewinding, even though Arsene Wenger's comments in the press conference the previous week were immensely clumsy. Um, I, I don't think that when he says that there's a difficult climate, it's, I think there's a, a strain of truth in that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that anybody's particularly to blame because you know it's a, I think it's something that engulfs everybody. But the general atmosphere, I think, a lot of games this season, not all of them, because some of them have been, you know, relatively upbeat and, and everybody seems to have got quite into it. And there's been a few things to get totally behind. But a lot of the games, you just sense that everyone with a vested interest in the club, be that the manager, be that the players, be that the supporters, um, goes there with a bit of a, oh, and it's a, it is a difficult atmosphere um there's almost an expectancy that it's not going to be great it might be a bit boring it might be hard work it might not be uh, enjoyable um it might go wrong and i think that even though it, in the old days i think the relationship between the fans and players was a bit more symbiotic you could rely on there being occasions when the players would get the fans going and you could rely on other situations when the fans would get the players going. It Mm -hmm. was a bit more of a two-way relationship, if you like. But I think it's got to a point where people are, enough people, I should say, are probably disenchanted. And the atmosphere has been the way it's been a bit flat for quite a long time that, the fans are finding it hard to lift the players just of their own accord. They need to be shown something to respond to.
1: Yeah, Did you, I mean,
0: the players feel that pressure, and if they know that 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 any time they make a mistake, it's maybe going to get jeered or or there'll be some negativity. You can. I wonder whether there's a connection between that impulse of them feeling a little bit like they're one missed pass away from you know some reaction from the crowd whether that almost is part of them being quite conservative and a bit boring in the way they're playing because they're afraid of making a mistake Mm. as i said to you before i don't say that this is anybody's particular fault i think it's just the environment that the club has got itself into and it's kind of infected everybody And, and it's quite hard to see how to break that pattern
1: yeah. People on the other side of that would say, well, look, these are professional players paid a huge amount of money every week to overcome that. This isn't something that should inhibit their performances in any way. But uh, I suppose we look at it from the professional sports person point of view, and we also have to look at it from the human point of view, that when they do go out there, they are only human as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought what he said... Was like you said, p- particularly clumsy in the way that it was expressed, particularly in given the current mood around mm-hmm. certain things uh, at the club. I don't think really he should have opened that door, uh, you know, for the headlines. Which you know, so Wenger is blaming the fans for for this, that, and the other. I mean, how does he go about trying to solve this problem?
0: <sighs> I mean, it is hard because again, you you say just now that you know if you, if they're they're on so much money they ought to be able to overcome this that's kind of working on the assumption that if you get loads of money it's almost like saying people who who are really rich should get depressed yeah and it does life does doesn't work like that um it's not that simple and um, just because you're a professional footballer and you're you in theory really good at doing this thing and get paid a lot of money for it doesn't make you immune to feeling to having a crisis of confidence, for example. And I think, look from the outside looking in, it looks like quite a lot of the Arsenal players over these you know, last six months since January, since Arsenal were at top of the table, have at some point or another suffered a crisis of confidence somewhere on the spectrum of that. Yeah, I don't know how you break that. I, I, I guess in some ways you would argue that this season doesn't end quickly enough and you just hope that Arsenal will get the required results to be able to finish um, where they want to finish, which is, you know, third ideally in terms of not having to have a Champions League pre-qualifier and second dreamland scenario if uh, results go well the other way to to, to hold on to the bragging rights. Um, but, it, I do. This does have the feel of a season that just needs. I mean, I, I thought that the players' body language, a lot of them at the end of the game, um, over the weekend, you could almost sense them thinking, "Oh, can, can, can we get over the line already?" You know. <laughs> um, and if they're feeling that, I think everybody's probably feeling that yeah. to a an degree. And somehow, it's about regrouping over the summer and dealing with some of those. Impulses sure. that make that you know that are making them feel feel that they can't relax and play to their best. Yeah. We talked about Leicester. Dish, now every Leicester player has played this season better than you ever imagined that they would play. Most Arsenal players overall this season, when you look at this season as a whole, have come in below the level that you would think would be, you know, what you would what you would hope from sure. for them. We, um- so somehow that has to that that they have to change that dynamic obviously you would you would think that, that this summer after a few windows where Arsenal haven't gone to town um it would be a wise idea to change some personnel <laughs> to when try was... and shift a little bit of uh, of the atmosphere as well and yeah. just freshen it up and see if that can help I still think there's some really gifted players in this team and if they can find their best form and a little bit more collective unity it would make a big difference. Mm.
1: We talked about players being in bubbles and just before we finish I suppose you could say that Arsene Wenger as well is is somebody who lives in a sort of bubble as well Do you think he will have been affected by the very the visibility of the protests that happened against Norwich because we know there's been uh, some marches before some protests before they've all taken part outside uh, taking place rather outside the stadium uh, from which he's pretty much insulated criticism from fans is water off a duck's back really for a, a guy who's been in the job as long as he's been in the job but I thought it was quite telling when he he looked visibly shaken by the, uh, by the protest when he was interviewed after the game on the BBC when he talked about it possibly being worse given that he is the age that he is and he's been in the job as long as he has been do you think there's any way that those protests will influence him in terms of what he believes he needs to do to make the team better next season because I think we all know regardless of whatever people say or whatever signs they hold up he's going to be the man in charge
0: mm. <sighs> you know history suggests that he's not a guy who is easily um bent out of shape by whatever i mean you know i think because we're in it now people Mm. are perceiving the current mood as worse than ever before or, or, or or you know certain things that are going on as more potentially more in Arsene wenger's face than ever before but I still vividly remember that moment. It was quite a few years ago when uh, he made the substitution with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and and everybody in the ground was singing. You don't know what you're doing. Um, what game was that, Andrew? You against remember? Uh,
1: Manchester United, right? At home, yeah.
0: That was a few, that was a, you know, a few years ago, wasn't it? He put Arshavin on. You remember thinking that was quite watershedy, and you know, nothing like that had ever happened before, and he looked very, very shaken by that. There have been, you know, obviously the episode that you can debate to the extent it was actually bothered him at the time, how many people it was, but obviously the incident at the station in Stoke to be directly confronted by people who were disillusioned. You know, there have been stepping stones, you know, over uh, over this last few years of moments where you've thought, can it get any worse? I mean, to make extent, you would take games as the things where you think, surely arson has got to change from this. I mean, an obvious mm-hmm. example being the 8-2 against Manchester United or, you know, various other, you know, the the 6-0 the against Chelsea, um, you know, that the, the, the terrible sort of series of away performances in that season. And yet, he always seems to come out the other side and just ride these storms. So history doesn't suggest he will think differently about this one. Um, however, as you say, he is getting older, and I think knowing that he's at some point soon going to ha- have the question of will he have a new contract or what will he do, because next year, as soon as next season starts, he's in the last season of this current contract, and the, the question will start coming every press conference. Yeah. Um whether he feels now he's older and remember i think the last i think the last uh, contract just before the Hull FA cup final i think he was very close one way or the other um to which way he was going to go maybe he'll take a moment this summer and evaluate things a bit differently um i wouldn't be that shocked if not a lot of changes between now and next season because not a lot you know, he's not 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 shown these big waves of changing direction over the best part of 20 years. So um, I wouldn't, I guess, hold, hold our breath. But on, on the other hand, you know, we're talking about human beings before and you just don't know what happens in people's lives to suddenly make them feel differently about things. So perhaps this summer he'll, he'll have a, a different moment of clarity to in previous situations.
1: All right. Well, look, it's going to be. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, look, uh, it is uh, it is going to be very interesting. I think you're right in that maybe he might view this as his last year and have a big go at it, or he might view it as a, as a way of getting another contract and, and have a big go at it, or he might view it as his last year and say, well, I'm not going to spend all this money. The new guy could come in. as but You just don't really know what way it's going to go. But uh, I think certainly um, there's a leopard there that does need to change his spots to win people back and to, to Bombs on seats, and to change the atmosphere, and maybe, maybe we might see that this uh, this summer. Hopefully,
0: I guess if Le- if Leicester have shown us anything over the you know this season and and a bit more broadly over the last two or three years, it, it, you can see how quickly a mood can change in football, and we we all know that. Mm. You know, um, it can all seem a bit down in the dumps, and and something goes for you, and suddenly. You're on a you're on a, a, you know a, a new motorway and you're flying at too many miles an hour and woohoo and the roof's down and the wind's in your hair and it's it's exciting um, and it can equally have a car crash. So <laughs> we all know what football's like, um, and it just might be that from this kind of everyone feels down in the dumps sort of mentality that has the last few months that suddenly. Everything everything changes direction again and we just have to wait and see. And, and, and I, But like you say, I think it, it is going to require something to really shake up the overall mood of mm. the club to, to everyone back pulling in the same direction again.
1: All right. Well, look, uh, get your seatbelt on. Uh, <laughs> and look, if Leicester can win the league, then uh, possibly Arsen Wenger can change. Uh, we'll catch you next season. Thanks. Clunk click. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks so much to Amy. You know where to find her, at AmyLawrence71 on Twitter, at AmyLawrence71. And we will catch up with her next season. Wow, a whole summer to go before we speak again. So we've got stuff to do and stuff to talk about. But first, before we do that, an old friend returns.
2: Hello, everyone. It's me, Arsene Van I know it has been a long time since we last spoke, but I have been working very hard on my astrophysics. We are extremely close to proving a theory that has baffled science for many years. So much research has been done. So many theses, and papers have been written. We have done double-blind tests. There has been endless debate, discussion, and finally we have scientific proof that Michael Owen is a silly cunt. It's such a breakthrough. I have been watching the football, despite the fact it has not been very enjoyable. Seeing Spurs above Arsenal at this point of the season is both unpleasant, and rare. As rare as Theo Walcott getting into double figures for goals. And poor old Olivier Giroud. What has happened to this lithe, fertile young man? There is an old saying in the scientific community. Giroud is playing like a pissed-up manatee. Still, at least Leicester won the league, not Spurs, and my arch-nemesis Mourinho got fired. I enjoyed it a lot. Not as much as I would have enjoyed seeing him kidnapped by Isis, held in captivity for two years, then summarily executed in 1080p, but you can have everything. Have a good summer everyone. And enjoy all the money that Arsenal are going to spend on exciting, talented, and effective players. Ha 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 ha
3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
1: slash host. Who knows when we might hear from Arson Wenger-Hawkins again. I don't know if you got a little ad break in the middle there. After Arsene Wenger, Hawkins. Some of you might have got an advert. Some of you might not have got an advert. Uh, but the sponsor uh, this week is Cornerstone.co.uk. If you like shaving, well, nobody really likes shaving, do they? But if you like shaving cheaper and better, go to Cornerstone.co.uk forward slash ArsBlog, and you can get ten pounds off, and you can sign up, and they send you blades and a razor and all kinds of stuff. And I know that there are some podcasts out there who uh, who don't like shaving at all, just you know, beardy guys. We all look like Brian Blessed crossed with Roy Keane crossed with, uh, I can't think of anyone else who has a beard, Tom Cruise. Anyway, the blades are great and they do help support the podcast and it's really, really very much appreciated. So cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog if you want to get 10 pounds off your first delivery. And if you don't like them, they give you your money back, 100% of your money back. No questions asked. The podcast, I'm very happy to tell you, was number 1 in iTunes again this week. So thank you so much indeed for that. Thanks for for listening, for uh, subscribing in iTunes, uh rating and reviewing. It's uh, it's fantastic. I mean, when you look at who we were ahead of uh, in the uh, in the iTunes charts in the UK uh, this week, it's it's really quite something. So number one, Arsblog. Number two, Football Ramble. Number three, The Game, uh, The Times podcast hosted by Gabrielle Marcotti. Number four, Football Weekly. Number five, as a Five Live. And then there was a, a wrestling show and an NBA show and an NFL show. So it's fantastic to be top of that pile. And thank you to Adam Arsenal who sent me another uh, tweet to tell me that the Arsecast this week was number two in the iTunes charts for all podcasts in the UK. All of them. Which is fucking, that's amazing. Um, So thanks very much indeed to everybody for listening. We try and uh, provide you with a good show every week, more than one good show every week. Of course, we uh, have the Arsecast Extra. Myself and James are here on Mondays with the Arsecast Extra. Uh, so we're, we're glad that people are listening and glad that people are uh, enjoying it. Um, and I'm not giving away any details just yet, but because we're heading into the final week of the season, James and I are going to do something a little bit different next week. We'll give you details of that on Monday on the Arscast Extra. It's, it's different. I think it's probably a bit mad. And I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work, but I said it to him. I said, what about doing this? And he went, okay, I guess we could give it a try. So we're going to do that. But tune into the Arsecast Extra on Monday for more details of exactly what that is. There you go. So what else is there to talk about on this podcast? Well, we've got a game, don't we, against Manchester City? I feel like I'm forgetting something. I really do feel like I'm forgetting something here. (sighs) I don't know what it is. I know there was something else that I wanted to talk about. This is where show preparation, writing things down, and having a bit of a running order, as they would make you do in a radio station, comes in handy. So you'd have a list of things that you're going to uh, talk about, and you go, oh, I've done that, I've done that. What's that thing I'm going to Oh, yeah, there it is. It's right there on the list. That's what I'll talk about. So it makes life easier. But you lose some of the spontaneity, don't you? Because I'm just going to sit here now and talk about the first thing that comes into my head. Well, at least it's not live. That's all I can tell you. I think I should probably do something, though, to to make up for this transgression, this forgetfulness that I have. How about a competition of some kind? I've got some t-shirts. I do have some t-shirts. So um, I've got some Robert Perez dreamy t-shirts. How about those to give away? I'm going to give away three t-shirts. I probably don't have all the sizes. So please put your size in the email when you enter and I will send you the closest approximate size to the one I have. Oh, I think I probably only got small and large. I don't know. Anyway, look, how about it? It's uh it's a lucky dip kind of stuff. If you want to win one, all you have to do is tell me Oh, this again is show preparation. Okay, from which club did we sign Robert Perez? From which club did we sign Robert Perez when he joined the Arsenal? Uh, answers please to competition at com. That is competition at com, And I will give you the uh, the winners on next week's final weekend of the season, Arscast. Isn't that something? If I remember, of course, I should write it down. I went about two weeks without giving the winners of the uh, Danny Carbassian book, but that's... That's on me. Um, Right, we've got a game against Manchester City on Sunday. If we win that game, the minimum we can do in the league is finish third. We will have 70 points. Manchester United can only get uh, 69 points. Manchester City will only be able to get 66 points. And uh, I do wonder if it might be a good time to play them. Because if you watch the Champions League semi-final in midweek, they didn't exactly look up for that, did they? I mean, this is a Champions League semi-final, a chance to go and play in the biggest game in club football. Champions League final. It's all there. I mean, how could you not be like 100% just going for it? And Manchester City looked like they didn't give a fuck, really. Ah, if we score, it'd be good, but like, you know, i are not going to try that hard or anything. So if they can't get themselves up for that game... Is it unreasonable to think that they might find it difficult to get up for a game against Arsenal in which the, 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 the biggest prize they can get from it is finishing third in the league? So, uh, you know, maybe it's a good time to play them. Of course, the other side of that coin is Arsene Wenger has to get his players up for a game from which the only, well, the most likely uh, outcome is that we, we will finish third in the league. Of course, we could take, uh, uh, go past Tottenham if they fail in their last two games. If the meltdown they had against Chelsea the other night like, just continues and they implode and don't do anything in their final two games, if results go our way, then we could finish second. But realistically... Realistically, it's going to be a third place finish and there was an air of lethargy, wasn't there? An air of, oh, just get this fucking season over with, would you please? When we played Norwich on Saturday, Alexis storming off down the tunnel, uh, Mesut Ozil looking even less impressed with life and air and gravity than he normally does. And, you know, 1-0 against the Norwich side that aren't very good. The previous game, a 0-0 against Sunderland that aren't very good. And I know they're scrapping for their lives and survival and all that kind of stuff. But come on. There's a reason why they're in the fucking relegation zone. It's because they're kind of shit. And, uh, you know, Man City, even if they don't care, are a bit better than that. So it's going to be an interesting one to see who gives most of a shit. Or who is the least worst on the day because that team will take the points. So we'll see we'll see what Arsene Wenger does. So look, I'm going to leave it there because uh, we're uh, I don't know what else I'm going to talk about to be perfectly frank. And next week is going to be ooh, a big week, exciting week. Tune in to the ArsCast extra on Monday to find out more details of that. Uh, let's keep fingers crossed for the game on uh, on Sunday because if we do win, it would mean a really kind of cool team, I think, for the final home game against Villa. Probably people like Mikel Arteta playing Thomas Rzitzki, his final ever appearance, Arteta's final ever appearance for Arsenal as well. Uh, so I'd like to see that, actually. So if we could do the business on Sunday, that'd be swell. Uh, we'll cover the game, of course, uh, on the site, live blog, stats, match report, all the usual stuff. You can find it on site over the weekend. I'm here with you. Uh, with the Arsecast Extra on Monday. So until then, have a great weekend. Cheers. Bye-bye.
3: And now, on The Poetry Show on BBC Radio 4, we take a look back at the work of T.S. Eliot. Eliot was an American-born British essayist, publisher, playwright, literary and social critic, and one of the 20th century's greatest poets. His work inspired incredible devotion, and soon he had a massive fan base, akin to that of the great movie stars of the time, like Charles Chaplin, Devotees would meet in pubs and clubs around the UK and London to recite and analyze his work. Although aimed at a primarily younger audience, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, published in 1939, became one of Elliot's most popular books. From 1952, we've sourced a recording from one of Elliot's biggest fan groups, T.S. Eliot Fan TV, formed before television was ubiquitous across the UK. And here, one of the members recites from Macavity, the mystery cat.
1: Alright, you lot, settle down. Settle down. Alright, great. No is going to recite from Macavity, the mystery cat. Macavity's a mystery cat. He's called the Hidden Paw, <laughs> Blood. For he's the master criminal who can defy the law, FAM. He's the bafflement of Scotland Yard, yeah? The flying squads despair, for when they reach the scene of crime, blood, the cavity's not there, fam. Thank you.
3: Recorded in 1952 at the Shrieking Pirate just off the Caledonian Road, A home for poetry lovers in London, but now long gone. In its place, a generic chain coffee shop. The poetry show will continue in just a moment. When we return, Robbie Savage explains how the works of John Betjeman have made him a better man.